You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Awesome. Hey, let's pray uh, really quick. How many of you guys loved hearing Robin last week? It was so good. So good, not just to see him back up here, but just I think the word he gave was amazing. Um, and so just so honored that he is back in action um, and better than ever, I would say. He's super seasoned and looking good. So, um, Father, we just thank you for, as we sing, God, your foundation, God, that it's bigger and more stable than anything. And God, that when everything does shake, and certainly things do shake, Father, we know that you're unshakable. God, that the work that Jesus did is unshakable, it's unmovable. And God, I pray over every heart in this room, every heart that maybe tunes in online, God, that we would find such security and safety and a sense of safety in that unshakable space. God, that our salvation isn't based on what can be shaken, but it's based on the one who can't be. So we trust you this morning, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Everybody say foundation. Since we sang it, we're going to talk about it. This morning's very basic gospel, um, but I think it's the most important thing we can hear often more than anything else is just the simplicity of what Jesus has done and what it means for us. Amen. Um, I do want to make a couple quick statements and throw up some Bible verses. Um, the gospel is something to believe. It's not something to do. Okay. In fact, if you leave church and you feel like you've got a lot of stuff to do, you probably didn't hear the gospel. Nothing wrong with doing certain things, but when you hear the gospel, it's something to believe. It doesn't cause you to perform for something. It doesn't cause you to have to go out and fix something in order to get. It's simply something to believe because the gospel, the good news is based on Jesus, not based on us. Amen. Isn't it awesome that we get to be the recipients of something that the burden was on someone else? That someone else paid everything for us to sit here and simply receive. And so the good news is that he's already done something. And here's uh, a passage. I've probably taught on this before, but let's do it again. Because this is something to believe. 2 Corinthians 5.17 in the NIV translation says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, everyone say me. The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So here's uh, somewhat of the gospel in a nutshell. Something's already happened, something's already true, and now this is something to believe. I'm not here to make myself new, the new has already come. Do you know what the tension of our story is? The tension of our story is between the old and the new. The tension of our story, and I love how Robin shared uh, beautifully last week, that sometimes we go through these places where what we feel and what we navigate doesn't seem to line up with what we know to be true based on the word and based on Jesus. But our job isn't to yield to the things that we're in the middle of and what we feel. Our job is to yield to the truth, this statement over our life that even though there's some seasons and some days I still feel like the old, the new is still here. It doesn't matter what I feel, and it doesn't even matter the season I'm in. It does not negate the truth of God, because the truth is unshakable even during the seasons that we're shakable. Amen? This is the biggest 
thing I think uh, in Christianity we have to drop an anchor to, and that is what Jesus has done is not movable. It doesn't shift. And the more we anchor to that, um, the better it is. I'm going to say this too. All things new, and this is what Jesus said. He said, I'll make all things new. All things new is a positional statement, not a conditional statement. Okay? It's some place that we're positioned, not based on our condition. In fact, the way of the world is, conditional becomes, uh, comes before positional. You have to do the right thing to get to the right place, but the kingdom is backwards. The kingdom says, I'm going to put you in the right place even when you didn't do the right thing. And the tension is, God, well, how do I do the right thing? But the kingdom of God is positional and unconditional. It doesn't require you to be right in order for you to, quote, be right. He simply positions, positions us in a place that doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always match the way we feel. But nevertheless, the faith that we have says that it is true because it's based on him. Amen. Um, I want to share uh, one of my favorite um, TV shows with you. And then we're, gonna, we're not going to watch it. And it's not even one of my favorite. I'm lying in church. Um, in fact, I hate it. I think it's so stupid. Anybody ever watch one of those ghost hunting shows? No offense to the ghost hunters in the room. Um, but it's the stupidest show I've ever seen in my life. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, ghost hunters. Um, first off, the one I watched, some dude wearing like jean coats straight out of the 90s, right? And they always go lock themselves into these like buildings. They find some spooky place, whether it's a house or like some abandoned castle. And they wait till nighttime because ghosts only come out at night. Um, they turn all the lights out. And then for um, like the next hour, they walk through the place with all these ghost hunting gadgets. Okay. Which obviously is like dude went to Radio Shack, got a couple battery testers, and now he's walking around the house like, Hello. And they talk. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They, they walk around the house like, hello, can you hear me? Are you there? And they're walking around the house and all of a sudden in like a 200-year-old building, you'll hear something like this. Let me do it like this. And when they hear it, everybody goes like this. And like, whoa, did you hear that? Now, the truth is that was nothing. But since it's a ghost hunting show, they got to sell it, right? And so they, they kind of freak out a little bit. They're like, oh, wow, did you hear that? Or they feel like a breeze. Again, 200-year-old building. <laughs> it literally is a breeze. And so they're walking around. They feel something. They're like, oh, my gosh, something's here. And in their mind, something is there. Because they believe this, every little thing they accredit to and give glory to this thing that probably doesn't even exist, but it does in their mind, and they're making a show about it. And for whatever reason, I'm stuck watching it. Because in, in, in the depth of me, I'm, just, I'm holding, holding out hope that one day they just catch one. Now, out of probably a million episodes, no one's ever caught anything. Uh, just sounds and noises. And they try to interpret it. Did you hear him say yada yada? Um, but no one's actually there. No one's actually home. No one's in the castle. It's the dumbest show I've ever seen. And that's why you should watch it tonight on NBC. No, I'm just kidding. But this is what the old nature is like. Um, 
See, we've existed in two different people. Humanity, I'm going to pull up a passage in Romans 5.19, if you guys can put that up. But we've come from two different positions. And the Bible's pretty clear. It says, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, speaking of Adam, the many, speaking of humanity, were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, speaking of Jesus, the many will be made sinners righteous so this tells you two things it tells you that there were two people in which humanity was impacted by it tells you that two people existed one did one thing another did another both lived both died one became a ghost one became a king the impact of adam on our life was that humanity became lost it became quote sinners it became this thing that had lost its way in connection to the father And Jesus comes in through his obedient and this beautiful glimpse of who the Father is to humanity, reconnects the interface of humanity back to its creator. And the gospel is centered around this Jesus-centric theme of the work that he did that says anything that happened in Adam will never be as great as what God did in Christ. And the good news is that even though we were repositioned as sinners in one man, not because of another man, the many are made righteous. This is a positional truth for believers. This is what's true about you, whether you know it, whether you feel it, whether you even fully receive it. This is his testimony over your life because it was based on the blood of the lamb, not based on you. But what Christianity looks like sometimes, and this is our tension, is that we get stuck in this space between the old and the new. We don't know how to reconcile the old with the new. We believe sometimes this new truth is true, but I still struggle with the noises in the house. Right? Because if we don't reconcile the old to be dead, then we keep his stuff around. And most of our Christian journey of trying to fix ourselves, I'm going to talk about this in a moment, is nothing more than us wandering through a house, looking for the problems, listening for who used to live there. Can I tell you this? I read an article one time, and it was a lady whose husband had passed away. And I don't know the psychological trauma or things that she went through but something led her to this place where she just simply couldn't reconcile the fact that he was gone right and so she would keep all of his stuff not just like in the bedroom or in the closet but she would keep the house functioning as if he was coming home at any minute because in her mind even though he's gone and she kind of knows that to be true she was at the funeral i mean for pete's sake she she couldn't quite close the door on this expectation that he might walk through the door any minute And so even though she knew the truth, she was still living life as if he might come home. Man, this is so true that so much of the things we deal with, the problem's never the truth. The problem's a memory of maybe who we used to be. And maybe for you, it's not even you were a bad person or you don't have to go down the whole sin train this morning and uh, magnify your junk, but... Maybe for you, it's just the fact that the good news is too good to be true. How can I be repositioned in Christ and feel the way that I do some days? 
How can I be made new? How can all things be made new? How can I be a new creation? How can I be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? How can I be concealed in this mysterious locked box of hope nestled so deeply in the nature of Jesus himself, so safe in God, but still feel so unsafe in the world? And could it just be that we're haunted? Not by something even that's real most days, but just by the memory. Because sometimes we struggle to go from the condition to a new position. Sometimes we struggle to go from a ghost to the king. Can I tell you this? The greatest revelation that will hit the church will not be what God's going to do. It's what he's already done. It's the tension we're still grappling with. That 2,000 years ago, he could, like a vacuum, suck humanity into himself. And we're left with the fragments of that grenade, trying to put it together, saying, God, what does this mean? Can you imagine uh, the, the, the ears of the listeners as Paul would announce this truth over uh, the early church to say, man, you, you are hidden with Christ. To make these statements like the old is gone, the new is here. Can you imagine them trying to put together and make sense of out of an extremely religious place for the Jews and just a completely lost place for the Gentiles, but nevertheless trying to put together these pieces of who they've been, who they currently are, but what the truth says they actually are. See, the kingdom and the world are always in this tension. It's the story. That we get to journey, right? But thank God that it's Jesus-centric and not me-centric. Because the truth is, our faith life doesn't have to be walking around a house with our little Radio Shack beepers looking for the problems. Ah, give you a couple examples. Um, and I'm going to give these very off the cuff and very dangerously and uh, pray for God's grace on it because I know there's truth in some of these Spaces, but there's also us in a lot of these spaces. One of the worst examples is old school. Hear me. One of the worst examples of ghost hunting is old school deliverance ministry. Now, I don't mean the kind where God shows up and people get real deliverance. I'm talking about the ones where we build our ministry around deliverance and become professional ghost hunters. Uh, so we have to be careful. Robin, this is why they demoted me from bishop to back to associate pastor. Next week I'll be on the flag team. Um, do we have a flag team? Whew, next week we do. Um, I knew a lady one time. Loved the Lord. Radical encounter. Knew this truth. And could quote it often. It was like her staple go-to. Hey, this is who we are. Very identity-driven in the newness of Jesus and the gospel. But for whatever reason, was so entrenched in, quote, deliverance ministry. That she was the most tormented individual I've ever known in my life. And she would come to me and she would say, hey, man, gospel's good. God's good. And we're like, yeah, hey, man, God's good. But then she would do this. She would take a turn. She'd say, yeah, on the way over here, I cast like 40 demons out of myself driving in the car. And I thought, 
And then she tells me, we went to a church one time and cast like a thousand demons out of the pastor. I thought, crap. You're kind of looking at yourself, like, how'd they all fit in there? You know, like, big pastor. And I watched as someone who knew the truth, quoted it often, lived in a haunted house. And the problem is with that mindset, you'll never win. You'll never get the house clean enough. You'll never get all the stuff out. You'll never stop hearing the noises. As long as you're looking for it, you're going to constantly feel a breeze around the corner. And you're going to constantly give glory to the old rather than transition to the new, which is King Jesus, not a ghost that we've been delivered from. Here's the beauty of the gospel. On the third day, Jesus rose. Adam did not. A king got up. A ghost stayed a ghost. But most Christianity still lives in the realm of a ghost. We still live in this place of being conditional, of performance, of making sure that we've got things ironed out and organized and we're checking all the boxes. Or we don't think we're good enough or we don't think we're performing well enough or we don't really believe the blood of Jesus is strong enough to uh, deliver me from my past. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not strong enough to free me from my memory of it. See, God doesn't want to just erase your past. He wants to erase your memory. So that we're not living in places thinking the old is still coming home. Because if you don't reconcile the old to really, truly be gone, then then here's what we do. If I don't reconcile him dead, I'm going to dress like him. I'm going to act like him. And I'm going to keep getting his mail. Okay? Let me, let me reconcile this first. The old is gone. Colossians 3. Verse blast, media team. We're going to do four verses in a row. It's a marathon. Colossians 3, 2 through 3. Just some simple statements. These are something to believe. It's not the most practical teaching this morning, um, but the gospel's not really practical. Uh, For the most part, it's just crazy truth to believe that we don't even know what to do with most days. Colossians 3, 2 through 3. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. In other words, something's happened, so now bring the way you think to match it. Not on earthly things. I can say it this way, set your mind on things above. This represents Jesus, King Jesus, the earthly, the man from the earth, Adam. Shift your thinking to Jesus and keep it off of the earthly one. Here's the truth, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. That's the truth I want, for you died. Colossians 2.20, here's another one, something to believe. Since you died, past tense. Since you died with Christ to the elemental uh, spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still, uh, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? In other words, there's something true about you, but you're still in this rhythm. There's something new, but you're still rhythmic with the old. There's something that's massive that came from heaven, delivered us, completely transformed our context, but you're still in the rhythm of this thing that you know you're still haunted. By an old way. Second Timothy 2.11. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him. 
Everybody get the point now. You, you died. If we died with him, we will also live with him. See, that's, that's the tension. We've already died with him. Now the tension is how do I live with him? Not out of the old that is, is, is reformatted, but how do I actually live with him? What does it mean to be a new creation? I don't even know how to do that, right? Um, one more. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. Paul's coming to this revelation. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I uh, now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, when he says this, he's saying, the life that I'm living, what my body feels, what my mind thinks, with the way my heart skips through the shaking of moments and situations, I'm making that all accountable to my faith in the Son of God because it's no longer me, it's Him in me. Because I was crucified with Christ. So we are a bunch of dead people who have been giving, given new life, right? But we have to reconcile the old dead. Otherwise, we'll dress like him, we'll act like him, and we'll keep getting his mail. First off, when we dress like him, this is the realm of performance. If we don't reconcile the old gone and the new here, then we'll try to perform to be the new. Everybody, anybody ever seen the movie Weekend at Bernie's? Great blockbuster film. Uh, they take an old guy uh, who's dead and they prop him up in different places to make him look like he's still alive. Okay, uh, This, ladies and gentlemen, is so much of modern Christianity. Take old Uncle Bernie out, my old nature, and I'm going to put the right Jesus clothes on him. I'm going to make him uh, appear to be a certain way. You understand that performance re- religion is simply just a fashion show? Right? Uh, you, again, you can deliver as many demons as you want out of yourself, but until you latch on to the fact that you're a new creation in a place where demons don't even live anyway, you'll stop giving them rooms to rent in your house. You're only as tormented as you want to be. Amen? The room gets quiet when you talk about this stuff. It's my favorite kind of quiet. <laughs> but you're only as tormented as you want to be. See, whatever authority you give the enemy is what you gave the enemy. But who said you had to give him anything? <laughs> you don't have to give him anything. But when we follow, model, follow models of ministry, where we, our, our model is, let's go in a house, let's turn all the lights out, let's go to Radio Shack, and then let's hunt our ghost. Let's figure out what the skeleton is in my closet so that I can be more like Jesus. Gosh, it's exhausting. And it steals your life. Because performance religion would keep you dressing up and dressing up and dressing up. But never feeling like the thing that you actually are. And that's the tension. The other thing that it does is it causes us to try and act like him. Weekend at Bernie's. Here's the moral of the story, at least my version. A dead guy will never act like a living guy. It's never going to happen. It doesn't work. As long as you identify with the old, you will never be free to live as the new. 
That's why the gospel is so foundational but so important. Because everything we do flows from what we believe. And if we don't really believe that the new is here and the old is gone, then we're still living like a residue of the old still has the most dominion in my house. And that's just simply not true. Jesus does not have a roommate. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. He does not have roommates. But if we don't know that, we keep his stuff in our house, right? We try to act like him, try to do the right things. Or maybe for you this morning, you're trying to reconcile, why is it that I'm so new? God has delivered me, but I'm still undelivered. Maybe my actions haven't caught up with the truth. Maybe I still have a a sin struggle. Maybe I've still got some level of brokenness. I would say a couple of things. One is, there is this call. We're never free from the effort of subduing the flesh. There is this thing that we're called to just through discipline and surrendering to Jesus and with the help of the Holy Spirit that we overcome things in our life. But can I tell you the primary issue um, where sin still has just a, a stronghold on people is because they just simply haven't reconciled what's true about them. They actually still think that what they do is who they are. And as long as we think that to any percentage, it can come back to haunt you and we fall right back into it. Yeah? Man, one of the biggest, I don't care too much for the word breakthrough, but let me, it's appropriate here. Um, one of the biggest breakthroughs we can have in our faith is the ability to drop this anchor around truth and bring our moments to it, right? Kind of what Paul was getting at when he said, I'll take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. He's dropped an anchor because he knows his thinking is going to swirl. He knows his thinking is going to be different one day to the next. He knows that it's going to be up and down and all over the place, but he's committed to drop this anchor around truth and say, no matter what, I'm going to bring it back to this space that is obedient to what he says about my life and until we can do that we're always going to be tempted to respond to the old third one is you'll keep getting his mail Um, this is an example because when we moved here and started renting a house uh, one of the most annoying things not at first but it got annoying um, and I know we're not sp- supposed to be annoyed as Christians, but my house is haunted. Um, is like we kept getting the old person's mail, and it was driving me crazy. Because I'm like, man, just change your address, forward it, do do whatever you do with the mailbox people. Because now you're getting mail, and you don't want to throw it away because it's their stuff, and it might be valuable. Maybe it's a birthday card with a gift card to ghost hunters. I don't know. But we kept getting their mail, and some of it seemed important. Junk mail we threw away. The other, we're trying to find these people. Okay, how do we get their mail to them? And sometimes we would have mail in our house for these other people for literally weeks. Now, we never opened the mail because it wasn't ours. This is the position we have as a believer, right? See, if you don't know who you are and that the old is gone and the new is here, when his mail shows up at the door, you'll actually open it. 
Here's an example of Mel. When condemnation is sitting outside in a nice little package and you walk out there and let it be received, then you forgot that your position in Christ means there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the truth is, I'm in Christ Jesus. So when condemnation shows up at my house, it's no longer mine because that guy no longer lives here. But if you don't know that he's dead, you'll keep getting his stuff. You'll still let shame be the dominant narrative over your life instead of righteousness. Man, that's so hard. It's so easy to say and celebrate and like get excited about in church, but it's so hard. Because it's, it, it gets wired in us. You know, you know the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt, guilt. There's a saying out there, and I'm going to butcher it, but let's pretend I made it up. Guilt is this idea that I've done something wrong, but shame is this idea that I am something wrong. And on that layer, it gets so wired in me that what I've done, I actually think, is who I am. But Jesus comes and immediately starts to separate what they've done from who they are. The guest of sinners, the woman in adultery. I mean, everyone that he's encountering, he's separating who they think they are from who they actually are. He's approaching them based on who they actually are. He's speaking to them in value based on who they actually are. The only guys he's actually challenging are the religious dudes who think they're crushing the whole God thing. Their whole complex is broken. Jesus shows up and he's literally speaking to people based on the position, based on his perspective, not theirs. Because the love of God, (laughs) oh my gosh, it's positional, it's not conditional. The mercy of God is something that repositions us. The grace of God is a positional statement over our life. And Jesus comes and he's doing everything that he does does because of who they really were this is our tension here's here's the last layer and i need like just the holy spirit for some of this stuff so i don't get on a soapbox If we don't reconcile the old to be gone, like really believe it. We'll keep trying to fix everything. Now, I got to balance this quickly because there is, again, there's, there's this discipleship that we're called to. But it's built around surrender. It's not built around performance. There's this place where we are learning to be overcomers because he's an overcomer. So the same spirit that raised him from the dead is in me and greater he uh, that's in me than the one in the world. There's all these cool verses we use that's, that's true. So yeah, of course we're called to overcoming things, resisting things. But can I, I this is where I want to be very careful. There's a, a trendy statement we use sometimes and it's that you are enough. Girl, you are enough. And I get it in certain contexts. Sure, that's true. You get through the day today. You're enough to get through the day. I get it. Um, but the truth is, you're not enough. You're not. 
The gospel is not about you being enough. The very centric theme of the gospel is you weren't enough. That's why he was enough for everyone. Right? And so in this idea, we try to trick ourselves into being enough. Be enough, you can fix this thing. And so what happens is we downward spiral, not knowing the old is gone, the new is here. I don't know how to work that out, so I'm just trying to still constantly fix the old, dress him up, make him act right. Um, I'm still opening his stuff, and I wonder why I have this amazing truth, but I'm still constantly tormented. Because I'm still trying to fix a dead guy. I'm still trying to fix a ghost when I'm in the presence of a king. It puts me in this space of, um, and again, cautious here, but it puts me in this cycle of self-help driven faith. You know what the problem with self-help culture is? Um, There's always one more thing that you've got to learn and perfect and there's five more things you got to get better at and when you do that there's another one and five more three more six more and it's never going to end and that's when you realize i'm not enough you know what the beauty is for me that's the starting point Of my faith because that's the place I just need Jesus. In fact, um, self-help robs us of the need for Jesus. Because what it does is it gives us this elusive false version of wholeness. But can I tell you that the finish line to wholeness is not me nailing humanity. It's not me getting so good at being me. The goal of the gospel uh, of following Jesus actually was never about me being the best me. It was about me being like him. Right, But the finish line to wholeness is not me nailing humanity. The finish line to wholeness is the sozo salvation uh, where Jesus nailed humanity to the cross and put it to sleep. And everything that it was in Adam was buried in a grave so that when Jesus got back up, a ghost stayed, a king emerged, and he said, Behold, I make all things new. All of humanity sucked up into the Messiah, awakened back to life. And we just simply don't know how to do new. But if we can acknowledge that, then guess what? Now there's grace for the journey. Now there's safe passage for us to walk out, not have to worry about being enough, not having to perfect everything. See, there's a difference between spiritual growth and maturing and fixing. They're not the same thing. Growth comes from being rooted and remaining in Him Fixing comes from me being rooted and remaining in my head. Looking at my flaws. Fixing my weaknesses. Paul said, man, I got some weaknesses. But his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And so I'm going to boast in my weakness. He didn't say I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to get better at my weakness. He didn't say, hey, I don't know if it was a sin. I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. But he didn't say, hey, I'm going to get better at sin. He even said, do we continue so that grace abounds? No. He never embraced brokenness to magnify the greatness of God. But he never surrendered the truth to the memory. He never let a king bow to a ghost. He always went from a ghost to a king. 
Because he understood to be crucified with Christ means this is a positional thing, not a conditional thing. Guys, here's the truth about the Father. He loves you unconditionally. Our tension is I don't know what the heck to do with that most days. He forgave you for whatever it is you've done. So much that he says, I don't even remember their sins anyways, how far he removes them. And see, the, the struggle we have in our journey isn't with the memory of God, it's with ours. But here's the good news. Romans 6, 5 through 7. Hmm. For if we have been united with him, again, past tense. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know, now here's the, here's the thing. This is where they're dropping an anchor. Paul's putting this anchor down of faith. He's saying, here's what I know. He's not saying, here's what I feel. He's not saying here's what makes sense. He's just saying here's what I know based on truth, not based on the world. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Just to emphasize, sin is not always an action. It was actually a position. Man became something. And you can focus on the actions as much as you want to. But if you don't reconcile the position, that you're no longer a sinner saved by grace, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That you're no longer lost, but you're a son or a daughter. If you don't reconcile that, then at best, we'll hunt ghosts, maybe catch a few. Maybe fix a few moments, but still wrestle with this tension of how can I be so new and still so old? And I don't honestly know the answers. I know that the finish line to my faith is not me helping myself and fixing all my problems, even though I think it's important to steward ourselves, that's a different thing, though growth and fixing are not the same thing. In fact, if I put my energy into remaining in Him, instead of just fixing me, more of me would be fixed than I could fix on my own. Because I become what I behold. And lastly, I'm going to pray over us, but the beauty is you need to give yourself permission to not be enough. Because that's the place where I can fully celebrate the fact that he's everything. That he's my portion. He's my strength. Amen. Father, we thank you that... um,
God, that we're not clawing our way to get to you. God, we thank you that there's no chasm, there's no distance. As the word would echo, there's no height nor depth. Nothing that can separate us, not life nor death, can separate us from the love and this position that we have in you. And God, I just pray this morning over a church and even just a generation globally, Father, that what we read and what we quote would be more than just statements, but it would be the thing that we're anchored to, God. God, I pray for those this morning who are struggling with the old. And even now, Father, I just pray for freedom. God, supernatural freedom for those who who still feel like the old. God, maybe those this morning who can't reconcile that the gospel is so good, but why do I still feel so broken? God, may may we start with this revelation and reminder that maybe we are broken, but we're broken in you. We're broken in the right position, which is the safest place to be. God, I pray for grace and mercy. that allows us to come boldly to your throne. And last, I want to—I just feel this prophetically from the Lord this morning. I want to pray for anyone who just has exhaustion, who's been exhausted just from chasing or running through the house, looking for noises, looking for answers, looking for solutions. Those who are exhausted from always trying to help themselves, trying to develop themselves out of what really is just a bad memory. And Holy Spirit, I just pray for your sweet presence of God voice to rest in those spaces. we trust you because we can and we trust that the old is gone the new is here because we can and we trust you over our feelings we trust you over our situations we trust you over our thoughts because as we sing our lives are built on you not our feelings, not our thoughts, not our situations. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.